Welcome to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. Well, I, around 1970, they, somebody decided they show our youth group a, a movie. Is, is this working? Uh, ah, there we go. Somebody decided they'd show our youth group a movie. Now, that was a pretty big deal for you young guys out there. If you wanted to show the youth group a movie, you had to get a projector from somewhere. They were very expensive, so you hoped someone worked at a school. They could borrow one for nothing. And you had to find somebody who could run it, which was not, not everybody could. I actually have a projectionist license. It looks like a driver's license. And you had to rent the movie, which was very expensive, and you had to drive to the middle of Auckland, pick it up, and then take it back. So it's a bit different to watching a movie now, isn't it? It was quite a big deal, and it was pretty exciting to have our own movie, you know. But it was a good movie, and it was worth it. It was called So Many Voices. Fifty years ago, it changed my life. So I thought, I'm going to call my talk tonight, So Many Voices. And in the movie, a man told us that as we go through our life, there's all kinds of voices that tell us things, all right? All the time, we're being told all sorts of messages, and it's hard to sort of sieve those out and sort things out. Now, somebody told me that in a 1970s kid was solicited about a thousand times a day. And you go, solicited? What's that? What it means is somebody's getting and saying, hey, do this, come here, do that, buy this, wear this, eat this, drink this, and whatever. That's being solicited. Come on, all over the place. Now, that's my picture of an, of an American city, okay? That's Times Square. Can you see all the things on there telling you to do things? Come and see this movie, come to McDonald's, and all this sort of stuff. Now, I was just an Auckland suburban boy, but I can still remember that even at that stage, I was being asked all sorts of things, all right? As I went through my day, I Coca-Cola, the pause that refreshes. Blech, I hate the muck. But all the time, they were telling me to drink it. And it knew the new Holden Premier with the mighty X2 engine. I didn't know what an X2 engine was, but the Holden Premier had one. I couldn't get a picture of that. That's the V8, 5 litre. Yeah, bigger brakes to match. It had 120 horsepower, that thing. And, and a, a tip-top. Every day we walk past the ice cream shop. Come and buy a tip-top Mary Poppins ice cream. It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Now, I hadn't seen the movie, but I knew the word from the ice cream poster. All, that, all right? Too stingy to buy the ice cream, but at least I learned the word. Now, I sit on the bus... This, do you know the seven warning signs of cancer? So I'm going, ooh, change in the water, mole, so all the time sitting on the bus, checking, um, any change in normal bowel habits? Ooh, I went twice yesterday, have a, you know. So all the time, all these messages, that's then, you know, California girls and uh, kids' movies. You go into the kids' movies and, uh, and this suave man comes on the screen. He's got a blue uniform with gold braid and he's an airline pilot. He's walking to his air. Craft. He's smoking Peter Stuyvesant because that's what cool, manly people smoke. And if you smoke Peter Stuyvesant, you can probably be an airline captain too and get lots of money, I guess. You know, so this is the children's movies, for goodness sake. All right, but the, the one you're really going to enjoy because I'm going to sing it to you. This is an ad on TV for Vaseline hair cream. Have you ever had, heard of Vaseline hair cream? Well, it was a thing, okay? It goes like this. These three beautiful, pretty girls sing. Who's that man wearing Vaseline hair cream? Do, 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 do. Hey, Hammond organ, I have to do the vocals. My kind of man wearing Vaseline hair cream. Do, 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 do. The only kind of man for me wears Vaseline, 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 Vaseline hair cream. I'll leave off the end instrumentals just to spare you. So I'm watching this stuff again. 
Yeah, okay, I'm watching Vaseline hair cream. Um, I was a hippie, okay? We didn't even wear hair cream. I didn't care two hoots about it. Because for us, our hair blew in the breeze and get caught in the trees. There's a home in the fleas for my hair. So, okay, that's us. So I watched this, this hair cream thing, and, and the reason I did that is to say to you, okay, can you believe this? I didn't care two hoots about hair cream, but 50 years later, I can sing you the song because the messages go in and they stick. You got that? Did that message change my life? Up to a point, yes, because I'm watching these chicks who were pretty, I've got to admit, but I thought, they are pretty shallow. I'm going to find a girl who loves me for myself, not for my hair cream, and I did. So that's why I married Janet. So that, that ad did change my life. Probably never told you that, Janet, but that's why it is. That was, that was one of the reasons, one of the reasons, okay? So the messages stay with us, don't they? They stay with us. Are there any ads now that you would recognize straight away? I mean, if I show you that, and I want you to give me the answer and the facials. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you guys having a flashback? No. <laughs> now, I love that ad. I'll remember it till my dying day. I love Ben. I love Amy. I love the story. And when I'm watching it, I forget as I meant to. You see, I remember, oh, the Auckland Savings Bank, giving little plastic elephants to children to put their money in. Isn't that cute? Now, they're a huge Australian bank making obscene profits, cutting their services and taking all their money out of New Zealand. But while I'm in the magic of the ad, I forget that. It's still the good old Auckland Savings Bank. Now, liquor ads were banned on TV at those days, but they're, not, they're on TV now, aren't they? Hey, I should have told you this. We didn't even have a television, okay? We didn't have a TV. And I still have all this stuff in my head because this stuff gets to you, doesn't it? We get all these messages. We're solicited. And I haven't even talked about peer pressure. That's just advertising, all right? Of course, there are kids telling us what to do and we're trying to act cool for girls and my parents are bossing us around. The Bible says, Beholding we are changed. What that means is we look at something and we start to become like it. We, what we see around us is normal. If you're in Scotland, you think it's normal that men wear skirts. If you grew up in Auckland, you think it's normal that men wore pants, all right? What we see is normal. And so what we watch is important. It can change us. When I was about 12 years old, in about 1966, I made a prophecy New Zealand was quite new to television in those days. Television had been around for about five years. And I, I, even as a kid, saw the changes around me in society. I made this prophecy. I'll tell it to you, and you can see if you, if you think it came true. I said, because New Zealand has watched so much American TV, I think that New Zealand will become more like America. I think there will be more divorce, and I think there will be more violence. That's what I predicted when I was 12 years old. Did it happen? In those days, New Zealand used to have about two murders a year, which shocked us. How many do we have now? Fifty. Somebody said once, Jeremy, have you watched Once for Warriors? Once we're Warriors? And someone else chipped in and said, Jeremy doesn't need to watch Once we're Warriors. Thank goodness modern kids don't get bombarded with messages, eh? Thank goodness you lot don't have all these messages around like we used to. Am I kidding? Is, is there internet? There wasn't in my day. Do you take phones around with you where you go? We didn't. They were screwed to the wall. All right. What about TV programs? There was TV when I was a kid, but is, are the TV programs any worse? 
Some people tell me they are. I still don't watch many. I was once asked by, I think the man was called Mark Holland. Is he a TV producer? Mark Holland, is it? I, I don't know, but anyway, he was, he was making a TV program in, in Huntley, and I was kind of helping him for the day. And he said, oh, do you watch my show? And I said, oh, actually, I haven't got a TV. He said, what? You haven't got a TV? Whoa, that was all a bit controversial. But he said to me later in the day, he said, what difference do you think it makes living in a house without a TV? And I said, my kids have always been very free to be themselves. There's nothing in the living room telling them what they have to be, what they have to buy, and what they have to wear. So they're just free to be themselves. And the local school principal said to me, one thing I like about your kids, he said, I don't mean this in a bad way, but they're just content to be kids. All right? That's a nice thing, eh? So with all these voices around us, how can we hear the voice of God? And how can we know it's the voice of God? You see, in John chapter 10, verse 27, it says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. Murray, I was going to ask you something. When you were in India, you watched some sheep following some, didn't you? That was you. Can you just come up and quickly tell us? Sorry, I was going to tip him off about this. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, every night we, we travelled out in a little diesel trekker to a different village. Diesel fumes blowing in the back canvas. Then we'd get out, <clears throat> start to set up. We didn't have much stuff. But one night we were in a village and, and this man completely you know, covered with this massive heavy coat. You could barely make out a face in there. Just came walking through the middle of the square and about 25 sheep were following him. And it was just like being right back in the Bible and there was the well that people were going to and there was a sheep following this guy and, of course, the statue of Gandhi. And uh, it was pretty cool. It was like going back in time. But, yeah, these days we kind of get behind the sheep and... Give him a big hurry up with the motorbike. Murray was a sheep farmer and he did that. I don't. When we move our sheep, I walk out the front and the others have to go out the back. Some of you might have helped me move sheep, but it's always like that. If I go out the back, the sheep will come back to me. Uh, now, it's not they don't like you, right? It's just that they know me. He lived with his sheep. And so do I, up to a point. Okay? So, <laughs> so you know, if kids come along and say, do you want to see the sheep? Is say, Oh, yeah, so we go to the fence and go, here's sheep, come on, here's sheep. And they all come up, bah, 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 to, to say hello to us. All right? So it still happens. Sheep are like that. Now, in this series, we're doing a series of messages here, and the message series is called, What Does It Mean to Follow Jesus? Again, with all these voices, how can we hear the voice of God, and how can we know it's the voice of God? We want to follow him, but how does God guide us? Well, one way is the Bible. Please remember that God's word only promises to show us the next step. It said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, back in those days, they didn't have the kind of bright torches that we have now. It's just a little light. So when you go down the footpath with a light, all it does is kind of shows you what's next. Just like that. You couldn't see what was way ahead. There were no searchlights and headlights. And so the whole point of what the Bible is promising is this. God shows us a walk where we walk next, where we go next, where we go next. And you go, well, I want God to show me the whole picture, but he doesn't promise to. The Bible doesn't say to show you, you know, how your whole life's going to be. And if we're really faithful, we just say, oh, okay, God, that's good enough for me. That's what you want me to do next. I'll do that. Sometimes the Bible guides us in ways that are easy and plain, like this. Treat other people how you want them to treat you. Do you get that? Is that easy? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. 
Okay? Or be a peacemaker. Yeah? Not easy, but it's simple, isn't it? Or when you give money, don't tell anyone. Tell the truth. Don't take an oath. Hear Jesus' words and do them. All right? Those are pretty simple, aren't they? Didn't say they're easy, but they're straightforward. Do you get it? And sometimes the Bible needs a bit of thinking, like this one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Ooh. That needs a bit of thinking, doesn't it? It's not obvious what it means straight away. Or Matthew 16 says, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. It's not simple. It's not easy. We have to think about that. Think about it. Maybe we can spend a lot of our life thinking about, what does it actually mean, taking up our cross each day? And in Revelation it says, You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. What's the sin of the Nicolaitans? Well, it takes a bit of research, doesn't it? You can't just tell like that. So sometimes the Bible gives us a, a way forward, but we need to be kind of onto it and think about it to get it. Now, God guides us through nature and creation. It says in Proverbs chapter 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Sluggard's a lady, lazy person. Go to the ant, lazy. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander. No overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. That's pretty plain, isn't it? God's giving us a lesson in nature. He says, hey, don't sit around waiting for somebody to be your leader and tell you what to do. Get on with it. The ant does. And sometimes God guides people in dreams as well. In Acts chapter 16, verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. But probably the thing you'd most like to know about is when God just tells us something, huh? The still, small voice. And this is the scripture where we get that saying, the still, small voice from. It comes from 1 Kings chapter 19. Then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Behold, the Lord is about to pass by. And a great and mighty wind tore into the mountains and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a still, small voice. And you know what? That's where God was, in the still, small voice. So the question for us is, how can we hear the still, small voice over all the big, loud voices that surround us every day? Like Vaseline hair cream. It's hard, eh? So I'll give, you some, I'll give you some answers that I think. One is to make sure there's enough space and enough quiet in our life. Now, this is different for different people. I've got to tell you something that, that happened to me just a few weeks ago. I went to a church, a church you know, where people are worshipping God, and it was so loud, so loud, that I, I began to feel quite uncomfortable. I was there with some other people, and it would have been, I would have felt rude if I went out. But if I'd gone out to the car park, it would have sounded lovely. The musos were really good. But it was so loud, and my brain just couldn't think. And I thought, what if God wants to speak? I wouldn't even hear him. And then suddenly there was a sort of a, just a very sweet, gentle a little pop, pop. And the whole sound system went off. And it was just, it was beautiful. The, the, the vocalist, there was a man and a woman up the front. They sang with the most strong, clear voices, just absolutely beautifully. And he played an acoustic guitar well, and it was a good guitar. 
And it, I mean, it wasn't a big room. It wasn't much bigger than this. And uh, the drummer was playing and you could hear him. The only thing you couldn't hear properly was the bass. But the music was absolutely beautiful. And it was just like suddenly I dropped into the presence of God. And I thought, I, I just love it. And yet afterwards I was talking to my mate and he said, oh, that was beautiful, wasn't it? And, and he would have meant the loud part. So for him, he didn't mind the loud noise. He thought that, was, that, that helped him to hear from God. But for me, it was a block. So when I say get some quiet in your life, do it the way that suits you. I don't know. I've been to churches that are just so loud. I think, if God was to tell me something, I wouldn't even hear him. The other people, they come out and they go, oh, that was great. I'm upbuilt. Right? But another thing you can do, well, yeah, make sure you get a bit of literal quiet at home or in the car. You don't need constant noise, right? Now you're driving along in the car, you could turn the radio on. But sometimes turn it off. Just have a listen. Go to the beach. And when you go to the beach, just sit and listen and think. And the waves and the seagulls, I love that. I can just sit there and I just think, this is, this is beautiful. God is here. Maybe I'll see a dolphin, you know. And, but not only just quietness, but also clear spaces in your schedule. Now, I was having a little bit of a dispute with the principal of a local school. Children need to be organized, she said. We're going to have lunchtime sport and they all have to play games. Then they won't get up to mischief. I go, no, no. Kids need space. They have to have a bit of time just to be. They have their whole life so organized. Give them a lunchtime just to chill and, and play imagination games or read or sing silly rhymes or whatever kids do. Are you too busy? And when we do hear a voice, how can we know this is God talking and not just me or not just the evil one? Well, the Bible, that's how we know. Because we read the Bible so much and we think about the Bible so much that it becomes a part of us. In Psalm 119, verse 11, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. So as we read and think, we get used to what God does and says. We learn to recognize his voice. Now, I heard about some people in, in America some years ago. They were trained to sort out fake banknotes. You know what I mean? They could tell counterfeit notes. But to train them, what they did was they sat them in a room and they just handled real money all day. They never saw it fake. They just looked at real money. They smelled it and they felt it and looked at it and turned it over and, and they just handled money until they were so used to it that if they ever saw money that wasn't genuine, they could spot it straight away. And that's how we have to be. You see, we, we, do have to, we don't have to be experts at telling what's wrong, or the wrong voice. We have to be experts at the right voice. If we're used to hearing God and his true voice, if we read the Bible and we know what God says, then we recognize the fake. Does that make some sense? It's a good analogy, isn't it? We get so used to the true voice of God, we'll recognize if something's not right. You know, say somebody goes, I think God might be telling me to leave my wife. No, God doesn't tell you that. I think God might be telling me to only declare part of my income to the IRD this year. No, it's a fake. It doesn't ring true. You need to read the Bible more, you see, and then you'll get used to what God really says. So if we hear a little voice telling us to do something, or even if we hear a big one, we ask, would God really say that? And we know the answer because we've spent years studying what God really says in the Bible, the lamp unto our feet. Uh-huh. That's a little bit about hearing what God's voice so we can follow him. Part two. I'm going to talk now about a bit about being the voice of God. We know we are surrounded by voices of all sorts, don't we? Will God's voice be heard? Well, partly that's up to us. 
When Jesus says to follow him, he means to be like him, and often that means speaking up and being his voice. And one of the things he wants us to do is to tell the truth. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it said, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow in, to become in every way the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. We're to proclaim release to the captives and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and telling the truth is one way of doing it. In John chapter 8, verse 32, it says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, you are no accident. God planned you. He made you. He cares about you. He cares about you so much. Is that true? Is that biblical? Could that bring freedom to someone, those words that I just said? Yes, it can, and yes, it can. People get down in the dumps, and they feel worthless, and nobody cares about them, and they don't have a value, and the teacher told them they just happened from evolution, and they feel suicidal, and they need to hear that truth. That is not true. The truth is God planned you. Just telling someone the truth can set them free. Just telling, it says to the Bible, speak the truth in love. Actually, speaking the truth often is showing love. So the truth can set us free. What about the truth always hurts? Have you heard that? Rubbish. That's rubbish. The truth sets us free. It only hurts if we resist it. This man is called Saul, and he wrote this. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me in Hebrew, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What are goads? They are cattle prods. You know when you try to move the cows? Oi, get along. Now, does, does, what they use in those days is a sharp stick. Get along, little doggies. Moo, you see. So did they hurt the cow? Did they hurt? Yes, but only if if the cow was being naughty. You say, come on, cows. Where we go to the milking shed? Moo, okay. They're not going to get hurt, are they? So what Jesus said to Paul was, you're kicking against these things. Because what happened was Saul was presented with the truth and he kicked against it and he rebelled against it. No, the truth doesn't always hurt. But the truth will hurt if you try and resist it. Think of it as a cattle prod. Go where you're meant to, and you won't get the... You see, once, once Saul, who became Paul, submitted to the truth and started to follow the truth, it set him free. It didn't hurt. It brought him release. Truth hurts people who want to keep believing an untruth. When I was at teacher's training college, we were told of a special lecture that we're going to have from a man called Sir William Lyley. He was an amazing man, one of the world's top obstetricians and gynecologists. And he came to gave us a talk on prenatal development, which means little babies growing before they're born. And this guy was, we, we, were, I, we were so excited. He was a famous man. And so he gave this beautiful talk on these little babies and how they grow and how their behavior is learned in the womb. You know, they've got, they've got habits. Some babies like the taste of saccharin. Some don't. Uh, 
some, our little Sarah, she sucked, not, she didn't suck her thumb, she sucked two fingers, she was a two-finger sucker in the womb, and then she was born and she still did it. So things that babies, that parts of babies' personalities are right there. They're little characters. And William Lyley talked with such love. He loved these babies. He'd given his life to these babies. And uh, afterwards, we were just enchanted. Wasn't that amazing? Isn't this a life-changing thing? We were excited, but in that room, there was anger. There was anger. There was a group of people who got more and more and more angry as William Lyley showed us the wonders of God's handiwork in the unborn child. And those people who got angry were all women. They were feminists, and they were angry because they did not want to know that the unborn child is a wonderful creation of God. And they did not want us to know that the unborn child is a wonderful creation of God with his own life and his potential and his own preferences and habits that he zooms around and has a lot of fun in there. They did not want us to know that. So the truth hurt them. Do you get it? That's happened here in this room. I've talked things that are true and people have been upset because they didn't want to know them. People can get, get upset when they hear the truth. Now, if people can be set free by just hearing the truth, but people can be upset if they didn't want to know that truth. Let's listen to some ways that people can be set free just by hearing the truth. Your landlord isn't allowed to keep the bond. You can be set free from debt in one year. You see, ignorance was keeping those people in oppression. But once you, they hear the truth, their life changes. And their spirit begins to lift. One man said, it was just like having a big weight taken off my shoulders. You can go debt free. You don't have to live your whole life in debt. We could say to someone, when your parents separated, it wasn't your fault. When you were sexually abused, it wasn't your fault. Lies have been keeping those people in oppression. And the way to set them free is the truth. The Bible says, tell the truth or speak the truth in love. To speak the truth is love for those people. I believe it's almost always good to tell the truth at the right time and in the right way. Because untruth keeps people imprisoned, even in the church. I remember watching a movie once again quite a long time ago. It was about William Tyndale. Do you know what he did? He was the first person to translate the Bible into the English language. And he was walking through the countryside and he met a young couple Poor people walking his way, crying and crying, sobbing their hearts out. And he said, what is wrong? Why are you crying? And they said, our baby died. And the priest says that if our baby died before he got baptized, that un unbaptized babies' spirits become the little fireflies that fly around at night. So our baby has turned into a firefly. Is that true? And William Tyndale was angry. He said, we must we must translate the Bible into the language that people understand. Because if people can read God's truth for themselves, they won't fall for all these terrible, evil things that the priests say. So Wyndham Tyndale gave his life to translating the Bible into the English language so ordinary people could read it for themselves and be freed from all that stuff. And what did he get for his efforts? He was burned alive. He was burned alive by powerful people who did not want people, ordinary people, to understand God's word for themselves. They wanted to keep them in oppression. And they knew quite correctly that the word of God would free them. 
the church can be part of the oppression. Do you know what the Bible says about tithing, really? And do you know what the Bible doesn't say about tithing, but people have made up? For many oppressed people, the truth about tithing could actually bring release and freedom. And yet, you know, those people have got the Bible in their own language. It's often Samoan language or the Tongan language or the Fijian language. And those people are oppressed because they've been told what the Bible says about tithing, but it doesn't actually say that. We have to be careful that we're not the oppressors. In the world today, powerful people want to control us. And sometimes they tell us lies. Sometimes they tell us only one side of the story and they make rules about what truth is allowed to be told. Now you'll remember the terrible thing that happened in Christchurch, the dreadful massacre where those people were shot. You remember that? If you'd watched that in Turkey on television, you would have seen the footage of all those people being murdered and you would have been told on television that this is what a New Zealander did. This is how New Zealander treats the Muslims. And you would not have been told that New Zealand is horrified by what's happened. Why? Why? Because the president of Turkey wanted the Turkish people to think that New Zealand people hate Muslims. That's why. So that's the way it was presented. In New Zealand, you might think to yourself, what drove that man to do that terrible thing? He wasn't a New Zealander at all, of course. What was in his head? If we could understand, would that help us to protect ourselves in the future? But no, because in New Zealand, we're not allowed to read what he wrote. It's censored. We're not allowed to know. And in fact, if we actually had a copy of the book that he wrote about what he was doing, we would be charged as criminals. Now in the world, the massacre was covered in detail, just like the Charlie Hebdo massacre. But the same week that that terrible thing happened in Christchurch, 150 Christians were put to death in Africa just for being Christians. It wasn't a secret, but we didn't hear about it, did we? Because whoever controls the news didn't particularly want us to know that. They wanted us to know about the Christchurch massacre, which we needed to. Now recently there was a royal commission of inquiry into the Christchurch massacre, and uh, a Jewish woman stood up and spoke very graciously. I thought she spoke with much love and tolerance, but she says we have to remember too that there are some very dangerous extremist Muslim groups which are also dangerous to us. At that point, the Muslims all stood up and walked out and said we're being persecuted again. She wasn't allowed to tell that truth, even though she told it very graciously. Because actually it's true, isn't it? Which is the most dangerous religion of all? Which is the religion that's killed the most people? It's atheism. In the 20th century, more than 100 million people were killed by atheist governments. So one of the main outcomes of the massacre was, is new rules restricting what we're allowed to say. There's huge opposition to this all over, from all over the spectrum, from John Minto on this side to Family First on that. Because all over the world, many Christians are in prison for what they said. Did you know that? Do you know who Family First is? It's an organization that says things like, kids need a mum and dad. Make sure you have a family meal together. Unborn, family, or unborn children are part of the family. We should care for everyone. Marriage is important because strong families make strong nations. They say things like that. The government has taken them to court for the fourth time last week, the Supreme Court, trying to shut them down and deregister them as a charity because the government does not want them to say that. They've tried for nine years to shut them down. Now, last week, it went to the Supreme Court because Family First won at the Appeals Court, so the government took them to the Supreme Court. That's very expensive, 
but the government is using our tax money to pay for the court case. Family First has to defend themselves with donor money. In England, a man was arrested for reading the Bible on the steps of St. Paul's Cathedral. He was reading it out loud and he was arrested and taken to court. It happens a lot in England these days. People are arrested for sharing their faith. Of course, in England, you're allowed to share your faith. So the courts always throw out the charges and the people are always released, but the police keep arresting them. So they have to spend a few hours in the cells and go through all that. In the USA, there's a law firm I was reading about that full-time defends people's right to be a Christian. They said a generation ago, we thought this would happen in Russia, but never in the US. But our full-time job is protecting Christians' rights to exercise their faith in the United States of America. Some recent pushback has led to some states passing laws to protect people's religious freedom in the USA. Hooray. Now, who remembers when Greta Thunberg addressed the United Nations? Do you remember that? It was pretty famous, wasn't it? It was in the news. She said, we, I want you to panic. Our house is on fire. Do you remember that? Very gripping speaker. And she was invited to speak to the United Nations. The very same day, the United Nations got a registered letter from 500 scientists, mainly in Europe. The letter said this, CO2 is not a pollutant. It is essential to all life on Earth. Photosynthesis is a blessing. That's their words. More carbon dioxide is beneficial for nature. Greening the Earth, additional CO2 in the air has promoted growth in global plant biomass. It is also good for agriculture, increasing the yields of crops worth worldwide. There is no climate emergency. Therefore, there is no cause for panic and alarm. We strongly oppose the harmful and unrealistic net zero CO2 policy proposed for 2050. End of quote, Jeremy's words, which of course will impact mainly on the poorest people in the world. Now, who remembers that letter? Who's heard that letter before? You see, because the people who make the news wanted us to hear Greta Thunberg, but they didn't want us to hear those scientists. When Greta Thunberg looks at us now and said, I'm just a teenager, don't listen to me, listen to the science, please remember, there's only some science that they want us to hear, and there's lots that they don't. Now, the plan here is I'm not trying to, to take sides to show, I'm not trying to say which way you should believe, but what I'm saying is there are important and thoughtful contributions by qualified people that we're not told about, and there's a reason for this. Some people want to divide and control us. And in some ways, there are less voices now than there were before because people stop us hearing things they don't want to hear. We used to debate things. You know, we used to have, when I went to university, university had all sorts of crazy ideas. The Christians were there, the Harry Krishnas are there, the Buddhists are there, the feminists are there, the abortions, the anti-abortions, the pro-abortions, the homosexual rights, all in the university having their say and, and catcalling each other. Does that happen now? It can't. We have a thing now called cancel culture. In 2020, the feminist conference was due to be held at Massey University, but it was cancelled due to health and safety concerns. Massey University believed that to have the feminist conference there would endanger people's health and safety. At first, they offered to offer counselling, and then they said, no, it's too dangerous. Do you know why? Because the feminists believed that if you put transgender people in girls' sport, it doesn't give the girls a fair chance. In the US now, many, many girls' sports are topped by people who used to be boys, so they're bigger and stronger. What that means is girls can't win 
Now, the feminists talked about that. So them saying it endangered people's health and safety. So the conference was cancelled by the university. Universities used to be places where you could have your say. Not now. New Zealand is one of the oldest democracies in the world. A democracy means that we can vote for who we want. We might not like what they do, but at least in three years, what can we do? We can vote them out, can't we? If we get too, too ho-ha with them. Now, it's not a perfect system of government, is it? Not perfect at all. But as Winston Churchill said, the others are even worse. But at the moment, there's a plan afoot to actually finish New Zealand being a democracy by 2040. The plan's called Te Pua Pua. I'm not going to say if it's good or if it's bad, but the plan existed before the election, but it was a secret. Even the Deputy Prime Minister didn't know about it, and he's very angry. Do you know why they didn't tell the Deputy Prime Minister about it? Because he was Winston Peters, and he would have told us. That's why. So they went into the election with a secret plan, not telling us about it. And in fact, I haven't seen it. It's still pretty secret. In the end, somebody requested it under the Official Information Act. I think they let 30 pages out out of 200. Once again, I'm not taking sides on Te Pua Pua, but what I'm saying is, why hasn't the truth been told? Should Christians be the truth tellers? Should they in these areas? Oh, this is for grown-ups, isn't it? Should we tell the truths about New Zealand history? Should we tell the truths about New Zealand history that the powerful don't want people to hear? The truth will set you free. Some Christians think we only need to tell the truth about Jesus and we should stay out of other things. But if the Christians had stayed quiet, we'd still have slavery in Britain and New Zealand. You see, it wasn't long before the Treaty of Waitangi that Britain stopped taking slaves. And then when the British came to New Zealand, and as the gospel transformed people, slavery was stopped in this nation too. But only because the Christians spoke up about important things. Said, well, no, Christians are only meant to talk about Jesus. I believe there are many reasons to tell the truth, and here is just one. And this is about my last point. Here is one reason to tell the truth. Sometimes we want people to believe us, and they are more likely to believe us if they have found us to be truthful in the things we say. Does that make sense? Now, I was a teacher at Rakamanga School for years, and I heard... And in my time there, quite a lot of untruth. And in many ways, I would, uh, I would actually counter that. Usually I'd go and talk to the person concerned. But years after I left, about five years afterwards, a van stopped next to me and the window wound down. And the driver I recognised, she was a mother from Rakamanga, but I don't know what her name was and I didn't really know her personally. I just knew you used to be a Rakaumanga mum when I was a teacher there. And she said, we miss you, Matua. I said, why? Why do you miss me? Like I was only one teacher out of 30. She said, because you told the truth. Now, I go into all sorts of people's homes for all sorts of reasons. And sometimes I really have to ask them to trust me with very, very important things. I ask them to trust me managing finances, which is all they've got. And the fact that they have known me to be a person of truth means they find it possible to trust. There's a woman down the road who said to Teresa, since my mongrel husband, I don't trust men, but I trust Mata. You remember that? And I felt very honoured. I'm very glad because I go back a long time with that woman's family, you see. 
Now, as Christians, I'd like us all to be held that way in our town. You don't have to be liked by everyone, but it's good to be respected by everyone. And by being a teller of the truth, I think that's one way to win people's trust. When Hannah grew up, my oldest daughter, she was about 16 or 17, she said, Dad, thanks for not lying to us about Santa Claus. You see, it would have been easy to lie about Santa Claus, wouldn't it? Mums and dads do, but I didn't. So Hannah grew up in a home where she knew she would hear the truth. And when you're raising teenagers, sometimes you want them to say, listen, what I'm going to say to you now is the truth. You can't prove it, but will you trust me? Yes, Dad, I will, because you told the truth about Santa Claus. <laughs> All right, I want to summarize. There are so many voices, many of them are strong and attractive. It can be hard to hear God's voice among the others, but we must do it. The Bible is our lamp. Is this in the Bible? Is this in line with the Bible? Now, the Bible doesn't mention pee or pornography or online fraud. So what we have to do, we have to say, is this thing that's being suggested in line with the things we've learned from the Bible? And we'll go beyond what the Bible mentions. To people open to God, the truth doesn't hurt. It sets us free. Increasingly in our lives, the truth is being willed, withheld from us by powerful people who don't want us to know it. Most of Christians believe that the truth should be told, but only some Christians are willing to be God's voice in society or even in the church. So many voices. Will God's voice be heard? Let's take every opportunity to listen to God speak to us and to speak up and be God's voice while we can. Thanks for listening to the Huntley